For some uh, weeks now, we've been on a series that we're calling uh, No Place for the Devil. And that's based on the scripture here in Ephesians 4, if you'd turn there. Ephesians 4, No Place for the Devil. We want to continue in that. In Ephesians, the fourth chapter, Verse 22, he talked about putting off the old man from the previous way of life. And uh, verse 23, he said, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Verse 24, put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one of another. Be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Neither give place to the devil. Let him that stole steal no more. Verse 29. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Verse 30. Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. Now our text is verse 27. Neither give place to the devil. The Amplified, if you'd put that up in verse 27, leave no such room or no room, such is added, leave no room or foothold for the devil. And the Amplified adds the note, give no opportunity to him. And that would be no room, no space to operate and function and work. And he mentions four or five specific ways that people give place to the devil. One was in lying. Remember he said, you know, stop, basically stop lying. The other one was in anger and rage. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. And and he talked about don't steal and don't let corrupt communication. Can you see if you yield to temptation and thoughts of covetousness and steal, you gave place to the enemy. If you yield to the temptation to lie and deceive and hide, then you gave place to the enemy. And we're exhorted, we're commanded, don't give the enemy any room, no place. Now that's, it's a command, it's an exhortation. Notice this, he didn't say try to do it. And even though you will find those words in some of the modern translations, they are bad translations. I know that's a bold statement, but in that particular phrase, I'm not saying the whole translation is a bad translation, but if they, if they put in try to do this or do your best to do this on that verse and that phrase, that's a bad translation. Because the Lord never told you to try to do anything. Never told you to attempt to do anything. That would imply either he didn't know if you could do it or not, or you might not be able to do what he told you to do. Neither of these can be true. The Lord never told you, never will tell you to try to do something. For one thing, if he told you to do something, the power to do it was in his words to you. 
His commands are enablings. Remember when, he, when they saw him walking on the water and Peter said, Lord, if that's you, bid me come. What did the Lord say? Come. come. Well, now, before the Lord said come, could Peter walk on the water? But when the Lord said come, even at this point, he's not walking on the water. And there'd be a lot of reasons in his mind tell him that this is impossible. He can't do it. But the moment the Lord opened his mouth and said come, there was power in what the Lord told him to enable him to do what he a few moments ago could not do. So the Lord will never tell you to try something. When he tells you to do something, he knows he just empowered you to do it. When he told you to do it. So he's saying don't give the enemy any place. That means he can't take place just because he wants to. He cannot just bulldoze his way into your life and steal, kill, and destroy. That's good news. If the Bible says don't give him any place, what does that mean? It means it's possible to keep him outside the circle of the authority of your life. It's possible. Now most people haven't done a very good job of it. (laughs) But for the believer, it's possible. In fact, when Jesus, right before he went to the cross, he talked about the devil. He called him the, the prince of darkness. He said, he's coming, but he has nothing in me. How many believe the the master didn't give him an inch? He didn't give him any room to work in his life, none. Showing us it's possible. And if you made mistakes yesterday and gave space and place to the enemy, well, that was yesterday. Receive your forgiveness, repent, And hit it today like you're not going to give him any more room anymore. Go with me to the book of James, please. James chapter 4. James 4 and 7. And when it comes to not giving place to the enemy, there is so much revelation in this one verse. James 4, 7, about how to do it. How to not give the enemy any place. He starts off with submission. A word that is despised by most of the current generation. Am I telling the truth? Submit. People will look at you like, are you kidding? Submit. Yes. Submit. But what you got to understand, submission is not something anyone else makes you do. That's subjugation. That's force. That's not what the Bible's talking about. Submit is something only you can do. The understood subject here is you. Who's going to submit you to God? Nobody else can except you. You must submit yourself to God or it won't happen. I've heard people sometimes say, well, you know, um, you know, I, I keep messing up on this. Make me do what I'm supposed to do. Uh, 
And people try to say, you know, God, you know, just take me over. You know, Holy Spirit, possess me and control me. Not going to happen. The Spirit of God doesn't possess people. That's the devil. If you don't yield to him, it's not going to happen. He's not going to override your will. He's not going to take you over and control you. It's the enemy who's manipulative and tries to force and tries to control. You submit yourself to God. Now let's just stop right here. He says that before he says resist the devil. Why? If you're not submitting to God, what are you doing? If you're not submitting to God, what are you doing with God? You're resisting God. If you're resi- Don't you remember in the book of Acts that the Spirit of God said to, to the people that were clamoring against the gospel, he said, you do always resist the Holy Spirit. Are there people resisting the Holy Spirit? Oh, dear me. The world is full of them. Full of them. And sadly... Too many Christians, they don't, they don't really realize it, they're not acknowledging it, but the Lord has said to do this in the Word, or He said something to them by the Spirit, and they are resisting it. Well, if you're resisting God instead of submitting to Him, what else are you doing? By the same act, you're yielding to the enemy, because who is prompting you to disobey? Who is working on your flesh and and pulling on you to not listen to God? Who is trying to move you to resist God? That's the enemy. So if I'm not submitting to God, there's no need talking about the rest of the verse. (laughs) Can you see that? What's the rest of the verse? Resist the devil. Well, if I'm not submitting to God, I'm yielding to the enemy. I'm not resisting him. I'm yielding to him. And if I'm yielding to him, does he have to yield to me? No, I'm acting like he's in charge. So you or I will not be in a position to exercise our God-given authority in Christ in the name of Jesus over the enemy unless we submit ourselves to God. If we will take our place under our Creator. That's what submission means. It, it goes back to military terminology in its origins of the word uh, like rank, to rank or arrange under. And we, everybody should be clear, God is my superior. Is that right? He's over me. Jesus is Lord. What, where does that put me? Under him. Is that right? I need to will it. He's not going to make me do it. I need to willingly take my place under him. Acknowledge his deity. Acknowledge Jesus' lordship. Acknowledge he's the head of the church. Acknowledge he's right about everything. Right? Acknowledge and take my, and this needs to be done daily on a regular basis. We need to remind ourselves, remind ourselves. And if we will genuinely submit ourselves to God, take our place under Him, then we can require that the devil take his place under us. 
under our feet because we are in the place of authority and power, which is the place of submission. Now see that people don't think so. But the place of power is the place of submission. Submit, the place of power over the enemy is the place of submission to God. Can you agree with that, church? So he said, submit yourself to God, and then what? Who's going to submit you to God? You are. Who's going to resist the devil? Same person. Who's understood the subject? You submit yourself to God. You resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. You don't try to pray and get God to make the devil leave. Now, I just contradicted half the churches out there. But we are not, nowhere are we told in the New Testament to pray and ask God to make the devil stop. Find me one scripture. We are told to do something about the enemy. We are told to resist the enemy and he would flee from God. No, you, when you resist the enemy. See, we got too much religious begging God to make the devil stop. And then a failure to stand up and act on what he actually told us to do. Resist the devil and what will happen? He'll flee from you. Let me read some other translations of this. Today's English version, the TEV says... Resist the devil and he will run away from you. And in studying the words, in my mind, that's one of the best definitions there is of that word translated flee in the Greek is run away. You look at other places where it's translated and that's what they did. They ran away. Resist the devil and he will what? He will run away from you when you Resist the devil, he will run away from you. The, um, the Dewey Rams, Reams, rather, translation says, resist the devil and he will fly from you. So he, he's not running slow. In verse 8, draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Now in the very next verse, which is the same thought, He warns us about being double-minded. And you'll see this brought out in other places. When you resist the enemy, you must not be wondering if it's going to work. You can't be double-minded. Well, we'll, I'll give it a try. There's that word again. And we'll see if it works. Well... It's not. Because you're not yet convinced. You're not yet persuaded. Now, why am I talking about this? Because there have been too many instances of people rebuking the devil and nothing happened. I'm going to let that sink in just a moment. There have been too many instances of people making confessions 
And they didn't come to pass. Or rebuking the devil. And he didn't leave. Well, why? Is this true? Is the fault with the word? No, No, the fault's not with the word. And that's the first step to getting answers. Is to realize the word cannot fail. If there's a problem somewhere, it's not with God. And it's not with what he said. It comes back with us somewhere. Go with me to Mark eleven twenty three, please. Anybody heard of Mark eleven twenty three? Jesus said after he had spoken to that fig tree, and when Jesus spoke, things happened. Every time. I'm gonna say every time. Every time. Every time. When he commanded spirits to leave and he resisted the enemy, what happened? They left every time. Is that true? Every time. And on this occasion, he spoke to this tree. So we know it works. (laughs) And with him, it worked every time. Not hit and miss. Not part of the time. But so then the the disciples are amazed by it because they know something supernatural has happened here because that tree looked just fine and green and, and fine the day before and what, 24 hours later, that thing's dried up from the roots. And so they know something happened here. And the only thing they know of that, and Jesus spoke to it. So his words were with power. And people will say, well, you know, yeah, but Brother Keith, that's, that's Jesus. He's the Son of God. God can do that. No, you're implying something that is not true. He is God. But he's not functioning as God when he walked the earth. And he told us if we'd believe on him, the works he did, we would do also. Didn't he say that? Well, if he did it as God, how can we believe that verse? I'm not God. You're not God. If he did those things as God, we can't do them. But if he did them as a man, anointed with the Spirit, and he would authorize us with that same authority he walked in, he would empower us with that same Spirit he operated in, then we see the glorious possibility of walking in the steps of the Master, doing what he did. And here he explains to them why every time he spoke to something, it happened. Would you like to know the answer? Would you like to know the secret? To get your words to the place where every time you speak to it, it happens. In Matthew 21, the Lord said it like this. He said, if you have faith and don't doubt, you could not only do this which is done to the fig tree, but you could say to the mountain. So he's telling them they could have done what he did with the tree and even something bigger. But it comes back to faith. If you had faith. Verse 23. Whoever will say to this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea. So you're saying something to something. This is not prayer. You're not asking God to move the mountain. You're speaking to the mountain. And shall not doubt in his heart. Stop right here. Stop right here. Stop right here. The Bible did not say things would happen just because you said it. 
These scriptures did not say things would happen just because you said it. Did Jesus say, if you'll say to it, it'll happen? He didn't say that. He said, if you'll say it, and then what? Don't doubt in your heart, but believe that what you said will come to pass. If you do that, then what you said will come to pass. And this, this is a huge issue. Just because you say something doesn't mean you're persuaded that it will come to pass. And so the issue, certainly we need to learn about saying. But we need to understand just saying alone is not going to get it done. I must be persuaded in myself. So there are times when you tried to say something prematurely and you weren't persuaded. You're still guessing and questioning and whatever and it didn't happen. So you don't just need to say it another thousand times. Because until you get persuaded, you're not going to get any more results than the first time you said it. Because you're still not persuaded. And it's not through vain repetitions. If I say it enough hundreds and hundreds of times, it'll come to pass. No, no, no. Do you see Jesus doing that? You see him standing out there for, for 36 hours going, mountain, move, I told you to move. Mountain, move, move, I told you to move, move, move. That's you trying to talk yourself into it. You're not persuaded. The scripture didn't say things would happen just because I said it. Come on, look at the verse. Verse 23, what? If you say it, so you got to say it. But then what? Not doubt. Not in your head. In your heart. You don't believe God with your head. This is all about the heart. Romans 10 says, with the heart, man believes. Don't doubt in your heart, but believe that what you say will come to pass. To you, you are not considering that the mountain might not move. There is no possibility this mountain is going to stay in the same place. You're not doubting. You're believing. You're convinced. And if that's the case, Jesus said, you'll have whatever you said. Oh, hallelujah. There are answers here, church. There are answers. I was reminded in thinking about this in preparation. My father in the faith, Kenneth Hagin, had multiple visitations by the head of the church. And one of the things that, uh, one of these visitations, actually a couple of them, the Lord ministered to him about the devil and demons, evil spirits, how they function, how they operate, and how to deal with them. And in the earliest days of his ministry, this was all the way back in 1950, the first open vision that he had, the Lord 
gave him a, an anointing to minister to people. And he, he, he told him when he laid hands on people, if a spirit was causing a problem, he would know it. And he, he showed him how he would know it. And to command it to go. And it would. And so, several months after that, there was a situation he describes in his book that caused the second visitation to come about. And I'm just going to read it direct from the book. It's his book, I Believe in Visions, Kenneth Hagin. We don't have them, we don't carry them, but go to their ministry and get one. If you don't have it, it's one of the, my favorite books I've ever read. He said, uh, my second vision of Jesus occurred about a month after the first. So it was just one month. I was conducting a revival meeting in the state of Oklahoma. I had told the congregation what the Lord had shown me about ministering to the sick and about the anointing. One night while I was ministering to the sick, a man in the healing line told me he had tuberculosis of the spine. He said he had been through three clinics and all the doctors had given him the same diagnosis, that he was beyond medical help now, and the man's spine was as stiff as a board. In praying for him, he said uh, he knew by what the Lord told him that his body was oppressed by an evil spirit. Now, like we talked last week, that doesn't mean the man's possessed. That means, and it doesn't mean that every time there's this kind of physical condition that there's a spirit involved. Because the Lord told him, he said, if you don't detect that, then it's just a case of healing only. Just minister healing to him. We can't just make rules about these things. The only way to get it right is to be led by the Holy Spirit every day, every case, every situation. But in this case, the Lord revealed to him, showed him there was a spirit there. So he said he commanded the spirit and said, you foul spirit that oppresses this man's body. I command you to come out of this body in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he said, I made a terrible mistake. I got into unbelief. He said, it's easy to get into unbelief no matter who you are and not realize it. He said, I said to the man, see if you can stoop over and bend your back. Try to touch your toes. He said, the word if is the badge of doubt. When I said, see if you can, that was doubt. What did he tell him to do? See if, well, now what do you say with that statement? You, you may not be able to, right? Try. What, what do you say with that phrase? You, you, may, you may not be able to. He said, God will put up with a certain amount of doubt in a young Christian who doesn't know any better. But when one is enlightened in the word, the Lord won't let him get by with it. And that was his case on this, this situation. He said the man tried to bend over, but he couldn't. His back was as stiff as ever. Let me just stop right here. Did Brother Hagin make a command and rebuke the devil and it didn't work? The answer is yes, it didn't work. It didn't happen. He, uh, he put his hands on him again. And uh, he had that same manifestation that he knew it was a spirit. He said, he commanded again, you foul spirit that oppresses this man's body. I command you, come out of him in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Let me just stop right here. Is that a good command? Excellent command. It's a perfect command. Will that alone get the job done? No. These phrases are not magical incantations. It's not hocus pocus, abracadabra, in the name of Jesus. These are not magical phrases. This is based on your revelation of your authority, who you are in Christ. When you say something in the name of Jesus, again, it's not a magical phrase. What are you saying? In the name means authorized by, sent by, empowered by. What you're saying is, I am his delegated, well, I'm his delegate. I'm his ambassador. I'm speaking on his behalf. When you say in the name of Jesus, that's what you're saying. I'm speaking on his behalf. Now, I'm not speaking in my own authority. I'm speaking in his authority. He sent me. He authorized me to say this and do this. He empowered me to do this. And see, if that's not real to you, then it's going to be empty, powerless words. Do you remember the seven sons of Siva? And some of the traveling Jewish deliverance people, they saw Paul having success, and so they just mimicked what he said exactly. They, they, they took his phraseology, and they said, we rebuke you in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches. And that spirit spoke up through the man and said, Jesus I know, Paul I'm acquainted with, who are you? And he jumped on and beat the pudding out of him. They made a command in the name of Jesus, and it didn't work. I said it didn't work. Why? Because these are not magical phrases. So Brother Hagin said he commanded him. And again, I said to the man, see if you can stoop over. Bend your back and touch your toes. His back was as immovable as it was before. I was acting in unbelief, but I didn't realize it. Did you hear that phrase? Can you be acting in unbelief, but you don't realize it? See, this is the answer to so many questions. People say, well, I I said it, and I did it, and, and I prayed it. Did you doubt in your heart? Were you fully persuaded? You with me, saints? Keep going. He said, duh. Then I said, well, we'll try it again. The third time, he laid his hand on his chest and his back. Again, he had the same manifestation that he knew there was a spirit there. And for the third time, he said, you foul spirit that oppresses this man's body. I command you to come out of him in the name of the Lord Jesus. And to the man, he said, now see if you can stoop over. See if you can bend down. He couldn't. Of course. So here now, three energetic attempts <laughs> and perfect phraseology and a good anointed man of God <laughs> and no results. Why no results? Do you remember that uh, Jesus was up on the mountaintop and they had the 
visitation, he, be, he became glorified and they saw him. And while he was up there, the man brought his lunatic son to the disciples. You remember that? And they tried to get the boy set free and they, they failed. And they had been getting people set free. But then he came down and he looked at him and he said, how long am I going to put up with you? You unbelieving generation. Unbelief is irritating to the Lord. It irritates him. Why? Because there's no excuse for it. It's a bad choice is what it is. And uh, so then after he set the boy free and he went to the house, the disciples gathered up and said, why couldn't we cast him out? Why couldn't we do it? And he said, Matthew said, because of your unbelief. Should we accept this answer because of your unbelief? I guess it's Mark and other places said, uh, talked about prayer and fasting. Well, that's part of dealing with your unbelief. Can you see that? Cut off stuff from the world, spend some extra time with God. What's the problem? The problem has never been that you can't count on God. The problem has never been that authority in Christ doesn't work. It's never been that. What's the problem always been? Unbelief. Unbelief. And it's everywhere. And you've been in more of it than you may think. And me too. But let's don't listen to lies of the enemy that it doesn't work, that it's not real, that it's not right, when it's just simply our unbelief. That's hindering. That's the problem. Jesus told them, it's because of your unbelief. Well, then that's the answer. Why they couldn't cast it out. And that means they tried, they attempted to. This is the 12 we're talking about. Apostles of the Lamb. Well, uh, Brother Hagin said he gave up and went on to pray for the next person. Of course, that's discouraging. You know, it kind of hurts your faith in praying for the next person. <laughs> and the man walked back down the aisle. He said, I was standing on the platform about three feet to the right of the pulpit. As the next person stepped up to be prayed for, I looked over to my left for some reason, and I saw Jesus standing there as plainly as any man I've ever seen in my life. He said, I thought everybody saw him, but I learned later that no one in the congregation saw or heard him except me. The congregation heard what I was saying to him, but they, they didn't see or hear anything else. Jesus was standing beside the pulpit. I could have reached out and touched him. He pointed a finger at me and he said, I said that in my name the demons will leave. Brother Hagin said, Lord, I know you said that. It's only been a month since you appeared to me in Rockwall, Texas and told me to command the demon to come out in your name. I told the demon to come out of that man, but he didn't. Again, Jesus pointed his finger at me and said, I said, in my name, call out the demons and they will leave the body. He said, I know you said that, Lord. And I commanded the spirit to leave this man's body in your name, but he didn't go. Jesus put his finger in my face. And for the third time, he said, I said, in my name, the demons will go. 
Call them out in my name and they will leave the body in my name. Weakly, I replied, Lord, I know you said that. (laughs) It happened just a month ago and it's as fresh in my mind as if you had said it last night. I know you told me that and I did tell the demon to leave this man's body. But he didn't go. Has anybody ever been there at that spot? I did it. I did it. I did it. But it didn't work. It didn't work. The disciples did it. But it didn't work. He said, I think I know how Jesus looked when he drove the money changers out of the temple. (laughs) Suddenly... It seemed that his eyes shot fire. I could see like flashes of lightning in them. And for the fourth time, he jabbed his finger at me and he said, yes, but I said they would go. And he disappeared. He said, I realized then I had acted in unbelief. We sometimes think that if we have a special gift or anointing to minister, it'll always work. But that's not the case. No matter how much authority we might have, no matter how many special gifts we might have, no matter how much power we might possess, they all work by faith and faith only. Well, that's an answer. Is that an answer? What an answer. When I realized I had been in doubt instead of faith, I saw my mistake. Let's just stop right here. Phyllis and I spent 20 plus years around Brother Hagin and Miss Aretha. We we know them personally. And uh, I've never been around a finer, more godly man. But he's questioning the Lord without realizing it. Can you see that? He said, Lord, I did it. But it didn't go. What did the Lord say? I said he would. I said, yeah, but he didn't. But I said he would. Yeah, but he didn't. Now let's just stop right here. Is there something wrong with this picture? What's wrong with this picture? Now I I know Brother Hagin a little bit. He loves the Lord Jesus. Submitted, committed to the head of the church. Is he trying to be disrespectful here? No, he's frustrated. He doesn't understand. Come on, can you see that? He's frustrated. Yeah, but he didn't go. But see, he's arguing with the Lord. In the Lord's eyes, there is no explanation for why he didn't go. (laughs) I said to the Lord, his authority is total. His power is total. There is no issue of any kind of struggle of God versus the enemy. The problem is believers who are not convinced, not fully persuaded of the authority. And you can understand, we live down here in this dark, confusing mess of a world. And so many of us are so ignorant (laughs) of the word and of God, barely saved, just Born again and that's it. But he saw it. He saw it. 
I realized I'd been in, in doubt instead of faith. I saw my mistake. I called the man back to the platform. He was standing at the rear of the auditorium and hadn't gone back to his seat yet. I pointed to him. I said, come back up here, brother. He retraced his steps back up the aisle. I stood on the platform waiting for him to come around to the altar where I was. Now, why did he call him back up? Come on, help me out. Why did he call him back up? What's going on? Something, something clicked in him. Is that right? Can you see that? Something locked in him. What locked in him? The enemy cannot defy me. He cannot resist me. He can't stay. Why? Because the Lord said he'd go. The Lord said he would go. The Lord said he would go. The Lord said he would go. He said, uh, the instant he stood before me, I slapped him on the back and with my other hand on his chest, I said, Satan, I told you to leave the body. Out you go in the name of Jesus Christ. Then I said to the man, now, my brother, I didn't put an if this time, stoop over and touch your toes. Instantly, the back was limber. The tuberculosis of the spine was gone. The spine, which has been as stiff as a board, was healed. He stooped over and touched his toes. Just like a normal person, he was completely well. Oh, praise God. Oh, somebody say, praise God, praise God. He was completely well. Because the man had come to our meeting from another state, we didn't see him until two weeks later. He came back the last night of the, uh, the meeting. I asked him uh, about stooping over and touching his toes. He said, yes, I am still free. And with a big smile, he stepped out in the aisle and stooped over and went to the floor and touched several exercises to prove he was still as limber and flexible and free. Hallelujah. (laughs) Yes, but I said he would. Can you see what has to happen here? Look with me in, in Romans, the fourth chapter. Glory to God. Glory to God. Brother Smith Wigglesworth, it's reported, and this is, he lived back many years ago that he was at a train station one time waiting on the train and um, a woman came there with him and her little dog had followed her from her house and they're standing standing there waiting for the train she told the little dog she said no honey no go go back to the house and the little dog just stood there and wagged his tail and so she said no 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 honey go 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 back to the house go on now go back to the house he just stood there and looked at her and wagged his tail so she did this three or four times, and finally the train's pulling up, and she turned around, and she said, go, get back to the house, go now, and the dog turned around and ran back to the house, and, and Wigglesworth said, he just, he just yelled out loud, that's it, that's it, that's exactly what you have to do with the devil. <laughs> Too many people trying things, playing with things, trying things. In Romans 4, Put up Hebrews 11:29 on the screen. You're going to Romans 4, but I'm going to read this to you before that. Hebrews 11:29 talked about the Egyptians and the Israelites. By faith, the Egyptians passed through the Red Sea by dry land. 
which the Egyptians are saying to do were drowned. Anybody know what a saying means? Trying. Trying. They tried to do it. They tried to do what somebody else did in faith and drowned. Trying doesn't work. Somebody says, well, what if I'm, I'm not convinced? Well, how does faith come? Does anybody know? If my heart's not convinced, if I'm, not, if I'm still vacillating and, and wondering and questioning, how do I get past that? Stop listening to junk. Stop feeding on stuff that's trying to put fear in you and doubt. Cut that out and get some word going in you. Did you hear that? Well, that testimony that that person that had the COVID virus and they got a hold of those materials and they just kept putting them into them and they're totally healed. Hallelujah. Amen. Well, what happened? They might not even known. I don't know, but I've seen this case. People didn't even know it was will of God for them to be healed. Or if they knew it, they didn't know how to receive. Or if they did, they still were questioning and wondering and wavering. How many remember James talks about wavering? If any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all men liberally and upbraideth not. But let him ask in faith nothing wavering. Because it talks about the person that wavers, the double-minded man. And, and that's exactly the phrase that was used in James 4.8. Right after he said, resist the devil, he'll flee from you. The very next verse, he, he cautioned against being double-minded. The double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Don't think you'll receive anything from the Lord. What's the problem? The problem is not with God. It's not with his word. It's not with his power. It's not with his spirit. It's not with his will. The problem is being double-minded, unconvinced, unpersuaded, trying it, attempting it, and you're not persuaded. How can you get persuaded when you're not? Faith comes by hearing. You start hearing what God said about that. And you keep on hearing it and you put it in your ears and in your mouth and in your heart. What the scriptures say, God tell Joshua, this book of the law, this word shall not depart out of your mouth. You'll meditate in it night and day. That's how you get to the place where you're no longer questioning it. You're no longer wavering about it. You have become fully persuaded. You have become completely convinced. And when you get there and you say words and you fully expect to happen, it'll happen. It'll happen. Attempting to do it, trying to do it, they drown. That's why I keep saying, you may think, I'm, well, why is he so adamant about that? Most of these modern translations are just rife with things like try, try. That means they don't understand faith. Do you hear that? You never try to do what the Lord told you to do. You do it. You do it. You don't attempt. They tried to do it and drowned. In Romans 4. 
Talking about Abraham. It took a while for what we're about to read to happen in Abram and Sarah's life. If you read the whole account, they, uh, they had some rocky moments. The first time that uh, God talked to uh, Abram about Sarah having a son, at this time they're already old. And they had already had Ishmael by Hagar because they thought they, you know, they can't have a child between them two. And uh, when the Lord said to him, spoke to him about Sarah having a child, he, uh, he said, Lord, let Ishmael live before you. He, he, didn't, he, he wasn't persuaded. And you remember when the angel came and Sarah was back in the tent and, and he told uh, Abram that, you know, about this time next year, we'll all have good news about Sarah. Sarah laughed right out loud. No, excuse me. I said it wrong. She laughed in her, in her heart. In her heart. But she laughed. Why'd she laugh? She was like, she said to herself, what? No, no. And, and the Lord turns, the, the angel of the Lord turns around and says, why'd you laugh? She said, I didn't laugh. <laughs> and I, technically, she didn't laugh out loud. That's why I corrected it. But he said, you laughed. Does the Lord hear what you do in your heart? Yeah. That nobody, nobody outside here. All things are open and naked before the eyes of him with whom we have to do. I'm saying there were times in their life. Now, who is Abraham and Sarah? They got their own scriptures in Hebrews 11, Hall of Fame of Faith. Is that right? I mean, Abraham and Sarah. And yet there was a time they weren't persuaded. They were laughing. They were going, what? But they must have got over it. I said they must have got over it. They must have got back to the tent, and after they left, got to thinking, "Ooh, I shouldn't have laughed." Ooh, I, oh, well, let me, let me, let me see here. And then they kept thinking about what the Lord had said to them, and there came a point where they became completely convinced that what the Lord said, He was able to perform. Is that right? That's exactly what it says right here in Romans. Look at it, Romans four and nineteen. And being not weak in faith, he, Abram, considered not his own body now dead when he is about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. You remember I said, how do I get past this not being persuaded? Stop listening to the wrong stuff. Stop considering the wrong things. You keep feeding your fear, you're never going to get fully persuaded. Cut off the stuff that's feeding doubt into you. That's causing you to question it. Wonder about it. Cut that out. Cut it off. He considered not. His own body. Neither Sarah's womb. Verse 20. He staggered not. That's the same word for waver. He, he wavered not. At the promise of God through unbelief. But was strong in faith. Everybody say strong in faith. Not, not, not weak in faith, but strong in faith, giving glory to God and being, 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 oh, somebody say fully persuaded, 
fully persuaded. Fully persuaded. Oh, child of God, I hope you're listening. Everybody watching online, hope you're listening. The issue is not learning the exact scriptures to quote. The issue is not learning the exact phrases and how to say them. The issue is not making confessions 10,000 times. Tell me what the issue. Getting yourself fully persuaded of what you're trying to say or do. That's the challenge. That's the issue. That's the hindrance. That's the hold up. Decades went by. No child for Sarah and Abraham. Decade after decade. Years went by. Years went by. Years went by. They tried to fix it with Hagar. See how that worked out. When God told him, it's going to happen through you and through her. He laughed. She laughed. But they got over it. I said they got over it. And we know, because we got it right here in the scripture, we know he got to the place where he wasn't even considering how old he was. He wasn't even considering that she had never been able to conceive. He wasn't even considering any of that because he had become fully persuaded that what his good father God had told him he was well able to perform and he was complete. He was, he was expecting it so much he went ahead and changed his name. Calling himself the father of many nations before they ever saw any evidence of conception or a child. But every time he would say it or anybody else would say it, it carries weight now. It's not just empty words. It's not just a borrowed phrase. It is coming from a fully persuaded heart. Hallelujah. Being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. And because of that, it came to pass, verse 22, because of that, it was imputed to him for righteousness. And verse 23, he said all that because it applies to us. This was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but verse 24, but for us also, it works the same way when we believe the same way. Stand on your feet, everybody. I want us to stand before the Lord today. And there are some folks that need to repent before God for being angry at Him and being upset with Him because things didn't happen. And you need to repent for that. Because it was never him that was the problem. Is everybody listening? There are people who prayed things and they didn't come to pass. They said things and it didn't come to pass. They rebuked and bound and it didn't happen. And they very foolishly got angry at God. God, why didn't you? God, why did you let that? God, why didn't you do that? You are asking the wrong questions. The answers are here today. When Jesus' own disciples looked him in the face and say, why couldn't we cast that out? He said, because of your unbelief. That's the answer. Praise God. It's a fixable problem. 
I said it's a fixable. It's a fixable issue. Fixable thing. Say it out loud. Father God. Forgive me. For ever questioning you. Or doubting you. Or listening to anybody. Accuse you. Of being unfair. Or being unfaithful. Those are lies. They are despicable lies. You are the faithful God who never fails, who never lets us down. I confess it is my own unbelief that has been the problem, not you. I call you faithful. Help me to see, Lord. Help me to understand where I've acted in unbelief. And show me the specific steps to overcome it. I choose to believe you. I choose to trust you. I choose to be fully persuaded. This ministry has been brought to you today free of charge by the partners of More Life Ministries and Faith Life Church. If you would like to help send this word to others at no charge, you can become a word sender today. For more information, visit our website at morelife.org.